Amen. What a beautiful message and song, Sydney. Thank you for sharing that with us this morning. Uh, take out your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you would like to look on. Uh, scripture will be overhead this morning. And so uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, Scripture will be overhead. Also, there are pew Bibles there in front or behind you. Uh, if you'd like to take one of those this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Well, what an exciting morning it's been already. And uh, I think about the uh, statement that Ligon Duncan has made uh, about public worship. He says, public worship involves five things. Reading the Bible, preaching the Bible, praying the Bible, singing the Bible, and what he calls Bible. And this morning, we have the great joy of seeing the Bible. And when he says that, he referring to the ordinances of the church. He's referring to the Lord's table. He's referring to baptism. And what an exciting morning to uh, have all five of those part of our worship here today. And, uh, you know, this morning we're going to take a brief pause from our series in the book of Titus, and uh, we're going to look at the ordinances of the church together. And uh, as we consider baptism and the significance of it, as we think about the Lord's table, and as we'll be gathering around that in just um, what are these ordinances? How many of you uh, remember uh, how old you were when you gave your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ? How many of you remember that? How many of you can remember when you trusted the Lord in baptism? That's your hand. And, and how many of you um, have at least been a part of a service where the Lord's table has been shared? How many of you? So we've all, and many of us in this room, have experienced uh, those things. And, and sometimes we ask the question, right, why, why do we do that? Uh, why, why is it that the church baptizes? Why is it that the church gathers around the table? And this morning, I want us to just peer into Scripture and ordinances and the significance of what they mean. Um, under the authority of Christ, the church practices two ordinances, uh, that of baptism and that of the Lord's Supper. Uh, St. Augustine in the 5th century, this is how he described it. He says, the ordinances are an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. I'm going to say that one more time. Augustine said, these ordinances are an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. Uh, both baptism and the Lord's Supper are tied together in more ways than probably you would think. Uh, both of them are symbols. Both of them are pictures. And they are an element pointing to a far greater reality. Um, the symbols in of themselves are, are not... Um, where our eyes should go, but it is this picture of what they represent and the greater reality that they symbolize. Uh, we all can understand this. How many of you have driven on a highway before? Can I see your hand? All right, we've all been on a highway. And, and how many of you have been driving down the highway and you've seen a road sign off to the right? You know what I'm saying? And uh, so just, just imagine for a minute, we're all in the church bus and we're heading up the 81 corridor and uh, we're heading towards Richmond and, and we see a sign off to the right of the road that says, Richmond, 50 miles ahead. And, and we see that sign that is pointing us to this greater reality of Richmond. Now, if we were just to take the church bus and pull over the sign, the road and everybody kind of huddles around the sign and we take a picture have we actually arrived in Richmond yes or no no 
Because it's just a sign pointing us to a greater reality of where we're going. And baptism and communion are that. They are these outward visible signs, symbols in the church that speak of a far deeper reality. They are speaking of the redemptive work that is in Jesus Christ. When the Bible says in 1 Peter, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. I love how Alistair Begg describes the ordinances. He says the blessings that are conveyed in these things are displayed. They are not dispensed. And is that when, when, when we're gathering around the table this morning and we in just a moment uh, partake from this bread and juice, it is just bread and juice. Um, the water this morning, it's well water. It, 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 there is no holy water here uh, apart from... Is this messing up? I feel like I'm cutting in. Can I go to a different mic? I think I'm... I feel How about this? All right, we'll try that. Okay, maybe this will be. So it's just bread and juice, and they, but they, they signify for us this greater reality. Water does not wash away our sins. The only thing that can wash away sins is the blood of Christ. So, I mean, we all understand this, right? I mean, when you're home and you take a shower, your sins don't just go down the drain, right? Uh, there, there is something that needs, there is something that is needed far deeper to deal with the brokenness of sin in us, and that is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Um, but when we gather here in a minute to observe the table, those things are just simply bread and, and juice. But, they, but the symbol of which they communicate is something far greater. Uh, we would not affirm what the Roman Catholic Church affirms in that when the priest blesses those elements, that the elements literally become the body and blood of Jesus. Um, that's not what Jesus said in the upper room. He, he just simply took bread and he, he gave thanks and he said, this is my body. But it was not literally his body. But it was a symbol of his body. It was a symbol of what Jesus would do when he goes to the cross. And so here at Catawba, what do we believe? Well, we believe that when we partake from communion in a moment, that... This is not literally the body and blood of Jesus, but it is a symbol. It is a picture. It is a portrait of a greater reality. And Jesus is present with us in the service today, not in some weird, mysterious way in the elements, but Jesus is with us today in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so when the church gathers and we observe the Lord's table, we do so uh, in the presence of the Spirit of God. And as those who follow Christ in baptism follow in obedience to Jesus, um, do you remember Jesus in his baptism? And you see the Trinity there. Uh, Jesus goes to be baptized, and you hear this voice from heaven as the Father says, This is my Son. You remember the Spirit of God descends as a dove. And, 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 and in both ordinances, both in baptism and in the Lord's Supper, they are pictures of uh, who our God is. It's a picture of what our God has done. Uh, it is something that is tangible for us because as human beings, uh, sometimes we need something to have a... Sometimes having a tangible thing helps us. 
And that's what Jesus was doing as he instituted the supper. It was um, even so much as it was a continuation uh, as Jesus transformed the Passover meal that for so many centuries had been this tangible thing of God's deliverance. Now Jesus takes bread and juice and he he uses it as a symbol of his life. And so this morning, I just want to very briefly, before we gather around the table, talk about the significance of the ordinances. And there's five things. I want you to understand, there are five things that we do in these moments. The first is this. In the ordinances, we obey Christ. Can you say that with me? We obey Christ. We obey Christ. That together, when we are baptized... Or when we gather around the table, we are obeying Jesus. And it's an outward, visible sign of how we are obeying him. They are not saving ordinances. You do not have to be baptized to be saved. You do not have to take from communion to be saved. That's good news for the thief on the cross, is it not? (laughs) He didn't get that choice. But had he had that choice, I believe he would have done it in obedience to Jesus. Matthew 28, if you have your Bible, I told you 1 Corinthians 11, but turn again with me to Matthew 28. Keeping you moving this morning. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. This is after his resurrection. Jesus has all authority at this point, and he commands the church. He says, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. How are they to do that? By baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus commanded us to make disciples. He's commanded us to baptize. Jesus commands us to observe the table. In 1 Corinthians 11, where you had turned in verse 26, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And so as we follow Jesus in baptism, as we take from the Lord's table... We are doing it in obedience to Christ. Here's here's the thing, my friend. Baptism is not a matter of personal choice. Sadly, we've grown up in some Christian circles that have taught that, that you can come to Christ for salvation, but you really don't have to be baptized. No, here, my friend, the Bible very clearly says to trust in Jesus and be baptized. I mean, it was almost presented as a synonymous thing in the, in the book of Acts. Why? Because it's important. Because baptism is, is this public first step of saying, I'm willing to obey Jesus. And so if a person's going to say, I've trusted Christ for salvation, but they're never going to take the step to follow him in baptism, the question really comes, are they really serious about obeying Jesus? And when we gather around for communion to, today, as well as we observe in this time at the table, we're obeying Jesus. And that's who we are as his followers. As we think about the church, we're to be a people who obey and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, what do we see about the ordinances? In them we obey Christ, but secondly, in them we remember Christ. We remember Christ. Centuries before Jesus ever died on the cross, the prophet Isaiah had foretold this prophecy about the Messiah. He said that the Messiah would be numbered with transgressors, yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. You say, why was Jesus baptized? Have any of you ever thought about that? Why was Jesus baptized? Remember when Jesus comes to John the Baptist and John the Baptist, he's like, wait a minute, 
I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. <laughs> Remember? John the Baptist said that. But what did Jesus say to him? He says, no, 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 John. He says, it's, it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. What do you mean by that? Jesus, as the sinless son of God, came and he identified himself among sinful people who also needed cleansing. Jesus did not need cleansing. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless, but he identified himself. The Bible says he was numbered with the transgressors. He was the sinless son of God who was willing to identify himself among sinful people because he, those were the people he came to save. And so when Jesus obeys the Father and he follows in baptism, Jesus is giving an example for you and I. These three this morning who we're so excited about, who are following after Jesus, they're doing what Jesus had done, and now they're following after him. Amen. For a thousand years before Jesus died on the cross, the Jews gathered to observe the Passover. And what did that symbolize? It symbolized that God was a deliverer. You remember that? You remember the plagues in Egypt and all the, the, the challenges that God afflicted the, the children of, of Egypt with and, and the Israelites, remember in that miraculous way, were delivered out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. And, and the very last plague was, was when the death angel would come. And, and, but, 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 but God had given them something. He said, you're going to sacrifice this lamb and you're going to spread the blood there on the doorpost of the house. And when the death angel come, he will over you. And there were many who obeyed the Lord and did just that, and there were some who didn't. But it was this picture of God is a deliverer. God is a savior. Um, the picture in the Old Testament was of a lamb, a sacrificial lamb that was, uh, that was atoning for, 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 for man. It was sh a shedding blood of a lamb. It was this idea of faith in the sacrifice of the lamb that would, that would save. And, and then Jesus comes. And John, he saw Jesus coming there on the river's edge. You remember that? And he Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So like for centuries, the Jews had been observing this Passover, foreshadowing the Messiah coming, and then John says, hey, here he is, here he is. The Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. He is the true Passover. He is the true Lamb. Because Passover was just a sign. It was just a symbol pointing to a far greater reality. And that was Jesus himself. And he came. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5 that Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. And that is a sacrifice that only needed to be done once. So when Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room that night, they had no clue what was about to happen. Jesus had told them about his death, but they really hadn't accepted it. And they're there in the upper room that night, and in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 26, we read, now they were eating, and Jesus took bread, and after he broke it, he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said to them, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood, for the covenant of which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. 
You see, Jesus is the Passover lamb who has been sacrificed for us. He fulfills Passover, and he takes that Passover meal, and he transformed it that night into the first communion. And now you and I, as followers of Jesus, we observe this time. And, we, and in, in, in observing communion, we are to remember something. We are to remember that Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God and that his life was given for us, his blood was shed for us, and we can remember that we can have forgiveness in him. You see, baptism is our public profession of faith when a person publicly declares, I'm following after Jesus. But when we gather as the church around the table, we are giving this ongoing confession of our faith, saying that I have followed Jesus with my life, and I am continuing to follow after Jesus in obedience to him. So in the ordinances, we obey, we remember, and thirdly, we proclaim. Say we proclaim. We proclaim. We proclaim. What do we proclaim? We proclaim Jesus. We proclaim what he has done for us. And in some senses, you all are preachers this morning <laughs> of the gospel. We're proclaiming something of the gospel. And, and here's the awesome thing this morning. I see so many of you here with your children. This is an exciting time because both Passover and the Lord's table are a time for the family to get together and for the family, for the parents, to talk to their children about what God has done. I'll tell you, we need more of that today, don't we? Can I tell you a word to you that are parents this morning? Take time with your children and tell them the stories of what God has done. Some of us, we hear from our grandparents of what God did. But sometimes between the direct link between us and our parents, the connection is not always as strong. But the Bible admonishes us in the book of Deuteronomy, fathers, tell these things to your children and to your children's children, right? It's this idea that God's done some awesome, powerful things, but if we do not speak about it, then, then how will the next generation know? Deuteronomy says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. I mean, that's our admonition. <laughs> Speak of what God's done in your life. Tell a story of how God's come through for you. If faith is not modeled at home, faith will not be easily caught at church. But it has to be modeled in your life. It has to be something where they see and, and they see that God is faithful. And, and because you've given your whole life to following after him, that when they're in that young age of their life struggling to know how to make sense of the whole thing, they'll look around at some faithful witnesses and they'll say, well, you know what? That person, God has been true to them. I know he'll be true to me. I mean, we all need that. Baptism is a public profession of faith. It is publicly declaring that we're a follower of Jesus. When you go under the water, it's this picture that we've gone under. Uh, we've identified ourselves not just with Jesus, but with his death. We've been buried with Christ. And that in coming up out of the water, it's this picture of that we've been identified in his resurrection. Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too might walk in a newness of life. Church, those of you who have been baptized, Jesus has raised you to walk in a new life. A new life. Not your old life. And, and certainly we're all sinners saved by grace and, and we're growing in all of these things, but, but in our life, our life is proclaiming something. I had a pastor text me this morning, a good pastor friend of mine, he always texts me on Sunday morning with a little challenge and a prayer and encourages me and, and, and all of that. And he made a statement this morning. I'll read it for you. J.D. Jones said, the effect of our words will depend on our lives, for it is always the man behind the speech who yields the power. That's not only true of a preacher, that's true of your life. People don't want to hear what you say. They want to watch how you live. And Jesus has called the church to live in this new way of life. So baptism is our public profession of faith. Communion is our ongoing confession of faith. When we gather around at the table this morning, what you're saying is God's done something in my life, and by God's grace, he's continuing to do something in my life. That's why Paul says there, if you're in 1 Corinthians 11, look down at verse 26. Notice how Paul describes it. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what are we proclaiming? In just a minute, when we gather around and observe communion, what are we proclaiming? We're proclaiming that we're sinners, saved by the grace of God. We're proclaiming that it is still by God's grace that we live. And we're anticipating that one day he will glorify our bodies and make all things new. So in communion and in the ordinances, we obey we remember, we proclaim. Fourthly, we participate in the life of Christ. We participate in the life of Christ. Some of us think to ourselves, we say, if Jesus was still here, like right in the flesh, it'd be a lot easier to live for him. But he is here. He's here in his spirit. J.D. Greer says, is not Jesus inside of you better than Jesus outside of you, basically, is how he said it. But wouldn't you rather have the spirit of God indwelling, living within you? And as the church, that's what we've been given. The spirit of God has come. He has indwelled our life. We've received the Spirit of God. Baptism is that picture. It's once again that picture of, of, of receiving the Spirit. It's that picture of we've been sealed with the Spirit of God. But in these ordinances, we are participating in the life of Christ in the most personal way possible. Jesus, to a whole bunch of followers one day, he said unto them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus told the woman at the well, you remember her? Her whole life had been just this past of guilt and shame. And she comes to Jesus that day at the well, and Jesus says to her, 
Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And that day when Jesus told the crowds that he's the bread of life and they need to eat from him, you know what happened? There were a lot of people that day who were following Jesus for the miracles. But when Jesus started talking about this personal thing, they turned back. And Jesus looked at a group of disciples. He turned around and looked at his disciples. <laughs> and he basically gave them the one chance to go. It's like, do you want to leave as well? You know? And Peter says, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? Where else can we go? I mean, I hope that's what you're saying as you came here this morning. And why are you doing all of this out of obedience to Christ and remembrance of Christ? Isn't it because you're participating in the life of Christ? And as you observe the table this morning, you're saying the same thing. Jesus is the bread of life. It's not, and, and as I'm following him with my life, it's, it's this idea, Lord, I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to do anything else. You have the words of eternal life. Where else would I be unless you come through for me? And that is our hope. That, that is the hope of the church, that, that just yesterday we, we held a funeral here for a dear brother who has been a dear member of our church for a number of years, and it just every funeral this past year, it reminds me that life is incredibly short. And I was talking to my, uh, uh, Jessica's uncle the other day over dinner, and we were just talking about mortality, and just, man, just the older you get, the more you realize, if it hasn't clicked in yet, that life is... That life is temporary. But Jesus has come to redeem us out of this life. He's come to save us for something greater. And when you follow the Lord in these things, these things do not save you. Baptism does not save you. Communion does not save you. But they are pointing to this greater reality of what Jesus has done. And in participating in that, you're saying in effect, Lord, I'm identifying myself in the most personal way with who you are and what you have done for me. And finally, in the ordinances, we anticipate Christ's return. You see, as we go through the picture of the Bible, uh, a picture that runs throughout the whole Bible is a picture of a lamb. In the very beginning, in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, when mankind sinned against God, the Bible tells us that God sacrificed a lamb. And he clothed Adam and Eve. And then throughout the Old Testament, we see that God is requiring these sacrifices, these lambs, without blemish, without spot. Why? Not for what they mean, those things were just a sign of a far, far greater reality. They were pointing to the coming of the Messiah. But Jesus comes, and John the Baptist says, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus dies as the perfect spotless Lamb. And he was buried, and three days later he rose again. But the picture of the lamb doesn't actually end because the picture in Revelation, at the end of our Bibles in Revelation 19, is one day we're going to be gathered around the marriage supper of the lamb. Are you looking forward to that? 
Are you looking forward to the day when not an under-shepherd, but the chief shepherd leads us in the table? And Jesus takes the cup and Jesus breaks the bread. It's an anticipation. What we're doing is we're saying that God is committed to our deliverance. And one day we will be gathered together experiencing the perfect perfection of God's grace and love in this renewed heaven and this new earth. And so this morning we have this reminder that both of these elements and both of these symbols remind us that in our past, you and I were sinners in need of God's grace. We were in need of God's cleansing. In the present, they remind us that now, having followed the Lord in baptism, gathering around the table, we've been welcomed into the family. We have fellowship with the family. We belong to the Lord. And then in the future, we look forward to the day that is promised for us, and our joy will be complete. We can only see dimly, the Bible says. We only see in part. But one day, it'll be complete. And all those who are really in Christ long for that day. Because we realize that as great as this life is, it's still corrupted by sin. And we face so much um, loss. And, and you know, when we look out in the world, the greatest loss we see is not always in the world. It's in our own souls. We, we realize that in my own soul, I'm broken. But can I tell you there's good news? The Savior's come. A lamb has been slain, and, and he is now inviting you to become a part of his family. You came in this morning, and you've not trusted Christ as your Savior. Can I tell you what? This would be a great time for you to do that. We'd rejoice with you in that. You haven't followed the Lord in baptism, and this morning you say, Pastor, and I need to do that. And follow him in it. Whatever God's leading in your life today, look, don't delay that. Don't put that off. Take a step in following Jesus. It's going to be the greatest decision you'll ever make. Would you bow your head with me and pray? I'm going to pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your love, for your kindness. Lord, we don't deserve to be here. Um, we don't deserve the love and grace that you've shown us. But my, how grateful we are that you would love sinful people even while they're sinners. And so, Lord, as we just get the joy this morning of seeing the Bible before our eyes, as we get the joy of, in just a moment, Lord, uh, taking of this cup and this juice, God, may we do so in the awareness that you have made this possible for us. But God, help us not get tripped up on only looking at the sign. Help us to see the far greater reality that it communicates. And Lord, as we take from the cup and juice this morning, I pray that it would be personal. That God is receiving it into our own mouth. We would, uh, Lord, so receive personally what you have done for us. In Jesus' name.
If you're here this morning and you have yet to follow the Lord, you've not trusted Christ for salvation, can I tell you that today could be a day of salvation for you? Even while we're praying right here, you could confess your sins. God knows that you're a sinner. And the Bible says if we've sinned in one place, we're guilty of every sin. But you know what? It doesn't matter how long the list is. What matters is that Jesus has come to save you from it. And this morning, I would invite you to confess your sins and to believe in Jesus. As personally as in just a moment, taking that cup and juice and, 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 and making that personal, that you would, you would say, Lord, I want to receive you into my life today. I'm going to do it by faith. And that's what JT and Messiah and Corey did just a few weeks ago. That by faith they confessed their sins, believed in Jesus, and Jesus saved them. And my friend, he would do that for you this morning. I'm going to give you just a few moments here just in silence to respond how God is leading you to respond. If it's to be saved, if it's to to confess sin in our life that is not pleasing to the Lord, you just take some time right here before we receive communion to do that.